0: Hello and welcome back to Voncast, a podcast series where we discuss our views on the latest themes and events shaping rates markets. I'm Imogen Bakra, UK rate strategist, and I'm joined today by our global market specialists, Jan Navruzzi and Giles Gale. All right, guys, I think when we agreed to take a two week break from Boncast, we didn't quite realise how much was going to go on in the market. So we've got so much to catch up on. But let's start with the ECB and then Europe, because we're recording today, literally hot off the press. We've just finished watching the ECB press conference. So um, Giles, I'm really keen to get all your latest thoughts on, on uh, well, what Lagarde said. So we got 75 basis point hike, as was expected, although I appreciate that this is kind of an as expected since we last recorded on Boncast. So a lot has changed, but it was as expected (laughs) as of uh, a week or two ago. Uh, What else were the kind of key headlines there for markets?
1: Well, listen, I I think the key headlines were that it was a hawkish delivery, as you would expect. Um, I think that the... one of the things that stood out was the uh, the guidance that they expect to raise rates at the next several meetings. That was in the statement, so several. Um, talking about that a little bit in the Q&A afterwards, uh, Madame Lagarde said that um, the path towards neutral was maybe another well, an, an, another meeting, you know, between another meeting and another four meetings. She actually talked about two or five, but was including the one that she was actually speaking in. So, um, you know, so I think, you know, the midpoint of that, um, you know, maybe we're done by December and maybe we are uh, done at some point early next year, um, at least in that sort of phase, returning rates to neutral. Um, There was another question a little bit later on where um, she was really pressed on the point about whether they were on a path to neutral or whether they might consider going beyond that. And she didn't shy away from saying that if need be, they would raise rates to um, a restrictive, Stance. Okay. Um, But of course, nothing about what that neutral rate actually might be. So, now I think at the moment, markets pricing in a sort of 220 25, that sort of area is the peak in the policy rate. Now, I would still say that that's a little bit on the low side if you consider sort of risk reward. Um, Certainly, they might stop below that, but I don't think we'll be talking about rate cuts next year whereas we may well be talking about rate hikes um the other points um there was an overshoot still in inflation at the 2024 forecasting horizon um only downgraded from 2.4 to 2.3 percent so you know still i would say a pretty significant message and in their baseline for for growth uh, they didn't um, they didn't project a recession next year um but that you know, and, and that may maybe just one last point actually it, i think it was interesting that she dismissed efforts to kind of tease her out about what might bring about a pivot in uh, ECB policy so you know if we were to have a much sharper slowdown next year would you cut rates and it was just no we're focusing on let's focus on what's important at the moment let's not get and try and look around corners here so uh, yeah i think it was hawkish
0: She's, she's reluctant to tie her hands down. OK, hawkish meeting. Now, the other thing that, that markets, I guess, aside from the obvious in terms of, you know, the direction of travel of rates, the thing that markets have uh, been very focused on this week has been around... Um, government deposit remuneration at the ECB. Um, now, I feel like it's it's probably a little bit technical to go into the full details in, in uh, this podcast, but can you just kind of give us a recap of, of what the story really is there and, and what we learned today? Because I feel like markets have been focused on that, but it, it's uh, there's a lot of confusion around, let's say. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean it's an interesting one, and in a sense, it was actually more important than whether they went seventy-five or fifty today. Because if they'd gone fifty, I don't think it would have changed what people really think about the end point for for policy rates in this cycle. Um, so, and, and and actually, you know, it was it was really noticeable that until she made the the point that there was going to be an announcement to follow the Q and A, that would. Uh, confirmed that they were going to raise the remuneration rate on government deposits there was almost no reaction and on that there was a big reaction and um, you know things like chat spreads for example and, and spread between two Brun- uh, G- German member and, uh, and swap rates tightened uh, quite dramatically as well on that um, so you know what is all that about in in, uh, in a nutshell you um, know so I went through, through through this in a lengthy note just this morning actually <laughs> um, but the distillation I think is basically uh, the way it, it's all it's all about the way that uh, reserves drain and at the moment most reserves drain at the uh, the deposit facility rate and that kind of you know leads banks to kind of chase interest rates down towards that level Um but quite a lot of reserves actually drain via the government sector uh, because governments are running quite big cash balances at the moment. It's about 10% of, um, of of excess liquidity, but that's about 500 billion euros. So you know, it's a lot of money. And the concern was that they have their remuneration on reserves that they park at their central bank capped, or had that capped at zero, and that might push them to look for uh, other sort of high quality cash alternatives rather than putting their money back to to the ECB at that lower rate. And that might drive a squeeze for things like government bills, um, perhaps repo, and that might have a spillover into things like shats and so on and so on. And as I say, um, because there's already quite a dislocation in that between high and lower quality uh, short rates, um, there was a concern in the market that that would potentially significantly exacerbate it. Um, But they addressed that and we've had the correction. And I think that there will be things that will be on the table for us to discuss in future meetings around other measures they can use to address this more permanently
0: how exciting <laughs> lots to think exactly. about <laughs> okay <laughs> for money um, market
1: managers nothing more exciting than this stuff <laughs> Just i hope that know.
0: everyone switched off the podcast during that <laughs> hopefully they're still here so perhaps we can go back to thinking a bit well sorry i'm not trying to suggest that wasn't relevant or important but going back to thinking big big picture because it has been a couple of weeks since we caught up on the pod uh, and like i said at the beginning a lot has changed we've had some big moves well, in markets as a whole, uh, but in fixed income markets. So perhaps you can put together with what we've learned about the ECB and, and the developments over the last couple of weeks to just give us an overall update of, of your kind of view on on European fixed income.
1: Well, I mean, to be honest with you, it's it's pretty similar. We're still bearish. Um, now, that is the, the key headline. Um, I can't actually remember if it was before or after our, our last podcast. I, I, I increased our target on 10-year bonds to 2%. So, you know, still a little bit of headroom, headroom there. I would describe our conviction as high. Um, why is that? Well, inflation is high and uncertain as it has been um, all along. Re- interest rates are increasing quickly at the front end. Um, you know, we've got a bit of a, a theme, um, you, know, where, you know, this sort of da- dash, the dash for cash kind of theme, where, you know, where essentially you know, this is an environment, you know, inflation plus, the interest rate reaction to it makes it a difficult, um, difficult environment for for credit and equities, but also for duration risk. And as we move into the sort of you know, the supply window into the end of the year, I think that that um, all comes together as um, you know, pretty clear. Uh, set of bearish arguments at the moment, so I would describe our conviction as high on that, and um, not, not perhaps as high as yours, Imogen, on, on the UK. I'll come to that in a moment. Um, when it comes to when it comes to sovereign spreads, um, you know, reasonably constructive, to be honest with you. But I think we'll leave that for another podcast.
2: All right. Well, uh, let me take it off from Giles then, and just kind of switch to UK, where uh, we've also mm-hmm. had many well a couple of weeks now since we stopped recording bondcast. a lot of action and guilt have been the major underperforming over the period where uh we did our uh since we've done our last episode so what's been going on there why have guilt been so volatile and kind of leading the weakness in global fixed income
0: yeah i'm a bit upset we've not been doing bondcast because i've missed the opportunity to be able to gloat about <laughs> our guilt forecast so i i think when we last spoke we had just updated the 10-year guilt forecast to three percent. Um, so uh, it's nice to now be recording again, having reached that forecast. Although, of course, I do not think we were really expecting when we set it just three-ish weeks ago that we would have reached it already. Um, I think a, a large part of what's been going on in the gilt market has until this week been front-end led. So we had a major repricing of kind of bank rate expectations, um, which is right because, you know, after the last um, MPC meeting, we felt like there'd been a big shift in the Bank of England's reaction function to caring much more about you know today's high inflation spot inflation versus their medium term outlook and certainly versus their kind of more cautious growth outlook and they had been leaning quite heavily on on that more cautious growth side, I think. And, and the August meeting represented a departure from that. So the more that we saw, I guess, a rise in, in wholesale gas prices uh, and the more that that influenced, you know, inflation expectations higher, it was right for the market to, to reassess where it felt like um, uh, the Bank of England's rate was was going. So um, that has been the, uh, I guess, major f- development in the first instance there's led the latest leg higher in yields and now much more recently we've had um you know increasing talks around the fiscal stimulus and, and we're recording this on on thursday so um we've just had an announcement around what that means and we can go on to talk about that in a minute but but with the kind of um uh, conservative leadership election resulting in a list trust government and and the narrative around what she was saying around um how much support would be required to kind of mitigate the impact of these rising energy prices 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 the market had started to price in some degree of of fiscal stimulus uh, and that's what's um, kind of uh, driven markets I guess in the final stages to that three percent level which is just about where we are in in 10-year yields now.
2: All right well let's talk about that fiscal stimulus in uh, in question there has been a lot of focus over the last few days on this emergency package that was announced by the, the trust government does that matter and can you give us a little bit of the details around it?
0: Yeah, so I guess the headline here is that, you know, as had been leaked quite widely in the press over the last couple of days, they have announced this energy price cap at 2,500. So that is an increase versus um, the April off-gen price cap where it was set at 1,971, but obviously is only part of the increase that we'd expected in October. You know, previously it was announced that um, there was going to be an 80% rise in October. So it's only a, a, you know, a much smaller proportion of that. Um, So, uh, yes, it matters. I mean, it matters in the very near term when it comes to our inflation forecast. You know, clearly that brings kind of down the peak and also brings forward the peak uh, in our inflation profile, given that we don't have as much of this October rise as we expected and then also won't get the additional January rise um, that we had baked in. So in terms of, um, I guess, near term uh, policy for the Bank of England, it it probably um, reduces. The need for outsized hikes, so it it doesn't change our call um, for next week's meeting, where we think that they will just do fifty. And I don't think this adds any kind of impetus to to them doing seventy-five, given that it it does matter for you know very near-term inflation forecasts. But obviously, to the extent that this actually um, you know supports growth versus your previous baseline over the kind of medium term, I think that that. Um, creates a little bit more of a hawkish outlook for for the Bank of England. So we have upgraded our um, rates forecast to now expect well fifty ne- at next week's meeting, as we originally had penciled in fifty in November, which was in line with our base case before this announcement. Um, now an additional fifty in December, and then additional twenty five basis points in um, February as well. So that takes your bank rate to three and. A half uh, by Q1 by the end of Q1 next year. So essentially, an additional fifty basis points of tightening that that we've added into our forecast, just given how we think this fiscal support kind of changes the, the medium-term outlook really for growth and inflation. You know, it's it's sizable um, and it's broad-based, and I, I think that 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 should matter for the Bank of England. Um, now, of course, the flip side of this is that this has to be funded somehow. Um, uh, and that's what I think is, is really important for markets and actually a little bit where, that's being mispriced in markets at the moment you know they this is most likely to come mostly via guilt issuance early estimates of how this is going to cost of how much this is going to cost is about 150 billion for the next two years that's a huge increase in in guilt issuance over the next couple of years you know that's that's covid style stimulus numbers that we're talking about here Um, but unlike covid we don't have the kind of offsetting easy monetary policy that will mop up a lot of that supply. So the net supply picture in the UK is about to change quite drastically. We think, you know, our early estimates have put about a sort of 40 billion, 35, 40 billion increase on um, gilt supply in this fiscal year. But next fiscal year, that could get close to $300 in in terms of gross gilts. we think, that that are going to be issued to the market. And of course, you have then on top of that, um, the Bank of England doing quantitative tightening, we think, over the next couple of weeks. So not only do you not have the Bank of England taking out that supply as they did during COVID, but you actually are most likely to have them adding back into that supply and and kind of um, making the problem worse almost for for gilt markets. So there's a regime shift on the supply side. We think that that's coming. There's a regime shift on the monetary policy side in that you know active sales and quantitative tightening are beginning. And I think there's a regime shift raising oh getting my words on regime shift taking place on the demand side as well you know it just as as Giles talked about in terms of this demand for duration you know not really existing and that's true in in the uk as well and perhaps even more so in the uk because i think that you know the demand from a foreign investor's perspective is isn't there and it's not clear that ldi are going to kind of step in and and their demand's going to keep pace with this increase in supply so I think there's uh, a big underestimation going on in the gilt market at the moment about how, how much this supply is going to matter over the next couple of years.
2: So how does that, all, all those regime shifts, how do they tie into your gilt forecast?
0: Oh well, I'm so glad you asked. Uh, so we we have just updated our guilt forecast, hot off the press. Um, anyone that receives our research about agile markets will know that we've just updated our ten-year uh, guilt forecast to four um, percent. So a hundred, well, pretty much a hundred basis points higher than we are now, and obviously a hundred basis points higher than than what our previous forecast was just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, but that kind of takes into account a this major news on the um, fiscal front, which is is really the main driver of this change in view, but also what that means for bank rate. We think a higher bank rate at the front end of the curve should matter for longer end rates as well. Um, A slightly revised inflation and growth profile, uh, and also just a slightly revised um, ECB rate profile as well that that kind of feeds into our fair value model for GILD. So uh, 4% is the headline number, and, and that's our new target. So with that, um, probably enough on the UK, I think I rambled on long enough there. Let's switch gears to the US. Um, It's been a very busy day today, but Powell has also just finished speaking. Um, What were the kind of key takeaways for markets for what he said, Jan?
2: Yeah, he just ended up being uh, coincidentally at the same time as uh, Lagarde, so didn't, I guess, get that all that much attention as it usually would have uh, globally, but Uh, I guess the spirit of whatever it takes lives on with the Fed. I mean, he was, he didn't, uh, let me start with the, with the uh, thing that he didn't really give too much about uh, the September meeting. He didn't comment on a specific course of action, which is more or less what we expected, right? They're in a situation, the Fed are in a situation where they have to remain data dependent. That is the message that they've been sending uh, the markets. And they're, Probably alongside inflation, the number one battle right now is to maintain their credibility because uh, if, if they keep promising things that they have to uh, stray away from, then that inevitably chips away from how the markets see uh, how credible they think the, the Federal Reserve is. So the discussion was really around the, the Fed's mandate, the dual mandate, uh, a, lot of, a lot about Fed's independence, uh, he touched upon a little bit about fiscal policy, how fiscal policy has to uh, moderate a little bit, and it's not really on a sustainable path. But he, of course, as uh, as tradition for uh, Federal Reserve uh, Chair people, he he didn't kind of make he didn't provide opinions on what the government should do. Uh, what he did say was that the Fed is committed to reducing inflation; uh, that they're going to keep fighting, aka keep tightening as long as it takes until inflation comes back to target. Uh, not too much discussion on whether they're going to cut or raise uh, rate, uh, interest rates next year. So far, the understanding is that, um, is that the general consensus amongst the Federal Reserve is hike a lot this year and uh, maintain rates next year as opposed to cut, which the market still doesn't fully agree with, although uh, pricing for those cuts have moderated a lot. Uh, so generally Powell leaving to Powell leaving it on the data that's coming and the specific set of the data that I'm talking about uh, is next week's inflation number um, which should kind of set the course for the September meeting and de- determine if it's a 50 basis point or a 75 basis point hike. just to point out markets are currently leaning more towards 75 basis point hike and I think that's more or less like a binary bet on on the course of inflation and on the back of Powell's speech the curve flattened a little bit more and the front end uh, weakened
0: OK, let, let's talk about the data, because I think that's obviously, you know, their main focus, because we had last week the um, last jobs print that they will have before the meeting. And like you say, next week, the, the last CPI print. So let's focus on jobs for a second. I know it's a little bit backward looking, but it's obviously important for them and, and feeds into their discussion. How much does, well, what's your take on the number and, and how much does that matter for them, do you think?
2: Yeah, of course, the jobs number uh, did matter a decent amount. I wouldn't say as important as inflation, which we're about to get but next week, but uh, it mattered in the sense that we get uh, a lot of data around average hourly earnings, which showed deceleration and imply that uh, wage inflation is going to be a little bit less. We also saw an increase in the unemployment rate, which the Fed most likely welcomes, even though it has negative implications for the average consumer, it should help in theory with, uh, with inflation. On the other hand, payrolls, the non-farm payrolls uh, imply that there are a lot more new jobs added uh, this last month as well, uh, which still shows that even though unemployment rate is ticking up, uh, the job market is fairly robust and it it doesn't signal anything to to imply the Fed has to kind of ease off a little bit or it requires like a dovish twist. Uh, Didn't change anything in my view. It just confirmed the message that leave it for inflation. Job market is okay. It's not really hurting, but it's also not really uh, picking up steam. So a pretty neutral picture there in my view. It just shows that data is not really falling off a cliff, which is in a sense good news because the Fed has already done a lot of tightening, but um, kind of passes the baton on to the next important key release, which is uh, and their main uh, objective, inflation.
0: Well, that leads us nicely onto inflation then. What are your expectations? And and I guess the important uh, the important question is what kind of a number would you be looking for to change your view uh, in either direction for 50 or 75, I suppose?
2: Yeah, I think, and that's really key for markets to gauge what they should price, price in for September as well. So we have a 0.3 in core, but that's uh, what, what we would call a soft 0.3 because unrounded, it comes down to 0.25%. Uh, it still shows a little bit more deceleration in important components such as uh, the shelter part of inflation. Uh, However, at at 0.25, we could, or like a 0.3, with a firm uh, rental reading, we could see a scenario where the Fed decides to maintain 75 basis points. However, if, say, core inflation shows uh, more weakness than we expect, kind of like 0.2-ish on a month-to-month basis. Uh, I think that could make the case, well, you know, as I said, like from the jobs section, uh, from the jobs discussion, the average hour, hourly earnings are coming down. You see a little bit more in inflation. Maybe it's time to dial it down a little bit because uh, I guess we're now all used to being in the environment where central banks are hiking in massive increments, but 75 basis points, uh, months, uh, like meeting and meeting and meeting in a row, is is a really high pace and um, it generally implies that we might end if they do 75 in September that would uh, that could imply that we're looking at kind of 4 percent federal funds rate by the end of the year, which is a significant amount of tightening considering that we just started hiking rates a couple of months earlier. So. Uh, I would say it, it is hard to exactly point to what's the barrier for them to uh, flip between 75 to 50. But since consensus has settled around 0.2, 0.3, I think the Fed will use that as a gauge and assume that anything below what the market is looking at is going to be supportive for uh, inflation expectations, and they can allow to dial back as well and kind of take that into consideration. However, if we see any form of acceleration in inflation, that is really, really bad news and that should shift the entire uh, terminal rate uh, profile significantly higher into next year.
0: I guess just to wrap up the discussion on the U.S. Then probably a, a similar question to what I said to Jars, because I know since we last recorded, we've obviously kind of changed our call on on what we think the likelihood of a recession is in the U.S. And also what what that might mean for for rates and for the shape of the curve. So, do you just want sort to of quickly, um, I guess, give us an overview of of where you are now on on your rates view given everything that we've just discussed?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Just as a as a background, since the last recording. We uh, changed our our forecast to now show a recession starting uh, in Q4 this year, stretching into the first half of next year. Two main reasons for that. uh, Real wages continue to go down. Inflation has been uh, much more persistent than previously thought, which will erode consumer purchasing power and uh, lead to, uh, most likely lead to lower consumption. Uh, And on the other hand, we have uh, CFO and CEO or, or general business confidence that very, very low levels, and they have been decreasing despite kind of like the recent bounce back in energy prices, however, uh, which generally leads to lower uh, capital and operating expenditures and probably you know find its way through both business investment and eventually higher unemployment. So those are uh, symptoms of a you know, real recession, unlike what we saw earlier this year, where it was really driven by a lack of inventory rebuilding and a lot of imports. So, uh, so with that, our, our treasury, our call uh, for treasury uh, for the ten-year treasury is really, I would say it's it is the, uh, determined by the by a recession view. But for now, it is mostly a tactical view. Just this week, uh, we went long again in the ten-year part of the curve because uh, it, r- rates really over uh, passed, you know, went went above close to their previous highs, especially in the ten-year when we got to the three-point-three range. Which to us just kind of means that uh, with, with a recession forecast in our outlook, it is hard to justify real rates continuing to increase like that, despite the Fed being aggressive. And especially especially if the Fed decides to dial up the hawkishness a little bit, that should lead to even flatter curves and um, and lower longer term yields.
0: Great, thank you. All right, let's round it out there this week. I know there was so much to talk about um, and there likely will be next week. It feels like there's so much every week, Uh, but lots going on next week. We'll obviously have a more fuller market digestion of the ECB. We've got the Bank of England and uh, US inflation. So so lots to talk about. Uh, Thank you both for joining me uh, and thank you to our listeners. Just a reminder that if you liked today's episode, don't forget to hit the like button and click subscribe so you can get the latest episodes as soon as they're available. Thanks. See you next week.